0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. It's going to be found on page 152 in your few Bibles, or 297 in the large print. Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 through 11. These are part of the instructions given To the people before going into the promised land, kind of a reminder of how things are to be and how they're to go. And how this is to be a different kind of people as the people of God. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we ask, now that as we approach your word, now that you'd help us to hear what you're saying to us. Would, um, That you'd help us to be prepared to receive what you're really saying and not what we wish you were saying. Help us to see who you really are more clearly and not just who we've always thought you to be. Or well, we ask that as we um, hear your word read and proclaimed this morning that you would tune our hearts to sing your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 through 11. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people, because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none." You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend, lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought, the seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Our New Testament lesson is John 20, verses 1 through 10. which was exciting, last week was Easter Sunday, and we spent almost all of our time together looking at the cross and not much at the empty tomb. So for this morning, we will uh, not only get to read about the empty tomb, but in fact, over the next several weeks, we will be reading our New Testament lesson as uh, those resurrection appearances that Jesus makes to, uh, to those who saw him after he was raised from the dead. We still don't get that yet, though. We're still waiting for that. But John chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And believed, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. As I say, we will find out in the weeks to come uh, together what happens next. But for now, we're turning our attention to um, to Acts chapter four, verses thirty-two through chapter five, verse eleven. Uh, Before Ash Wednesday of this calendar year, we had been looking at a series in the book of Acts. We'd been looking at uh, what Luke tells us when he finished the Gospel of Luke, then he writes the book of Acts. It's the second of the two-volume work. And the first, he said, he was written all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so the book of Acts is what all Jesus continued to do and to teach uh, in and through the Holy Spirit and his church in the early days of the church, and in those days following his resurrection and then ascension. And so, what we get to see in the book of Acts is how the resurrection of Jesus made a difference in the lives of the people who knew about it. Sometimes, it makes a really good, big difference difference when people are open to it and they receive it and their lives are changed by it. Other times we see it makes a bad difference as people harden their hearts to it. They don't want to hear it and they do everything they can to shut down this message. And so we see that throughout the book of Acts and every place that this message goes but uh, but we see that through all the opposition that there is that God continues to spread this message and he continues to change hearts and lives. And that is what we are going to look at this morning in an admittedly difficult passage. Acts chapter 4, 32, verses 5, uh, through chapter 5, verse 11. As All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I said, this is kind of a hard one. Now, we could make it real easy, and we could just say the point of this is give all your money to the church, or you die. That's... But that's not what this is saying. And <laughs> I hope you know that. That's not what this is saying. It's not about that at all. Now, untangling what it really is about really opens up some cans of worms. And I don't know that we can answer all of those. But I think we can look at this, and especially how it's laid out for us, to help us as we uh, seek to have our lives pointed in the right direction. And that is what is, this is mainly about. And in fact, usually when you read about Ananias and Sapphira, or when you hear a Sunday school lesson on it, or when you hear a sermon preached on it, it's usually just the it starts in chapter 5 verse 1 and goes on through verse 11 because, well, chapter 5 is, starts right there. We have to remember that the chapters and verse numbers were added much later. Those were not a part of the original scriptures. And so it's okay if you don't uh, strictly start and stop where the chapters start and stop, where the verses start and stop. And that's why I put these Two uh, passages together, the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, because it's all one, and they inform each other. And I don't think we can make sense of what happens with Ananias and Sapphira unless we first see what's going on with uh, Barnabas and the whole rest of the church. I think that their particular situation is only highlighted because it's in contrast to what everything is happening as a norm. So first let's look at what's normal and what's going on there. And then we can look at this, uh, this other situation and why it came to such a horrible conclusion. Okay, so it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. In other words, this is what we saw back in chapter 2 of Acts, by the way, that these people who have been transformed by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection who understand that they have now been made right with God and brought into his family and are to continue to resemble him as his children as as they go this direction now. They begin living as a family. As a family where if one person's in need, everybody pitches in to help them out. Now this, by the way, is not the same thing as them all giving everything they own over to one common pot and then, you know, everybody withdrawing from that as needed. It's not that. It's that they understood that at any time, anything they had, while it was still theirs, they could freely give it to anyone who had need. This is different, by the way. This is different from what is usually talked about with tithing. And the tithing being the one tenth that you'd give for um, you give to the temple. Or that now you give to the church. That one-tenth of your income. And people argue over the, well, is that before tax or after tax? Does it have to be 10%? Or is that blah, blah, blah. What this is saying is it's not a matter of the uh, kind of legalistic regulations of how much it is. The 10% that was... Uh, spoken of in the Old Testament was there as a sign that that's what went to the king. 10% is what goes to the king. And so the reason they would give 10% is to show that God is our king. Above any other earthly king, God is our king. That is who we really serve over all. Now we see in the New Testament, it goes so much past that 10% because it's not just a, okay, that means 10% goes to God and the 90% is for me. (laughs) What we see over and over again in the New Testament is when people really come into a relationship with Jesus, they understand that 100% of all financial resources, of all of our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength, every bit of everything that we are, is all under his lordship. And that means at any time he can say, how about it goes over here? And you say, okay. We are not the ones who get, who have sole direction over any of it anymore. Because we lay it all down and we say, it's all yours. Now, sometimes that we have quite a bit of discretion there as to how, uh, how we use that. But there may be times where we see those in need. And God says, I want you to help. And if we are operating under the principle of, well, you know, you give 10% of the church and the other 90% is mine, then you start looking at that other 90% and saying, well, this is mine. How dare you try to take some of my stuff to, you know, give it to somebody else? That's understandable. If we understand, though, that we have been brought into a family, we all are part of the same family, and we all have Jesus as our Lord, and he says, one of your brothers or sisters is hurting and is in need and say, well, how can I help? What can I do? And they show us the way. Now, that was the general mood and feel of this early church. We see here the fulfillment of what never happened in Israel. We read in Deuteronomy, this is how it's supposed to be. There shouldn't be anybody needy among you because you should be sharing what God has given to you. And in fact, you should be canceling debts every so often. This is what God set up, and they never did it. And so there were always those who were in need, even in a land of plenty, where God was providing. But here we see it for the first time, that people are living the way that God had wanted them to live so long ago. And they're living this way because of the resurrection of Jesus, that they now see that everything has been flipped (laughs) They don't need to hold on so tightly to things anymore. They don't need to be afraid of what happens, what's going to happen. If I give this away, I won't have anything. Now they understand, if I give this away, I still have everything. I still have everything I need. And so we can be open-handed, as was commanded in Deuteronomy. This is how they've been changed by the resurrection of Jesus It says, God's grace was so powerfully at work that there were no needy persons among them. They understood that everything they had was given to them by grace, and so they could give it freely as grace to others, not waiting for others to deserve it, but just for people to be in need. That's where it was. And then we get two specific examples of ways in which this kind of stepped up a bit. One was from a guy named Joseph, also called Barnabas. That's who we normally know him as. I love that. We don't even know him by his name. We know him as his, by his nickname, the Son of Encouragement. And we know him as the Son of Encouragement probably because of what he did right here. But maybe also because this right here wasn't out of the ordinary for him. I mean, he was the kind of guy who just is doing this kind of stuff because of his relationship with Jesus. And as other people see that, they are encouraged along the same lines. Here's what he does. He sells a field that he owns, and he brings the money, and he puts it at the apostles' feet. So usually the way it was working is everybody, you still own your own property, your own possessions, and you still have control over that, but when you see somebody in need, sure, you, of course, are going to help them out of your own resources. Barnabas takes this a different direction. And he says, you know what? There may be needs that come up that I don't know about. I'm just going gonna, gonna to sell a field, even though there's not a need right now. I'm going to sell a field that I own, and I'm going to give you, the apostles, this amount of money so that as needs arise, we're ready. You see why this might be encouraging to people. <laughs> Somebody who's going above and beyond just barely meeting the needs that are right at hand, but even providing... The needs to come. And my guess is the issue with Ananias and Sapphira is people liked what Barnabas did. He got a nickname. Son of encouragement. And Ananias and Sapphira started talking about it. How come Barnabas gets all the credit? Come everybody's talking about him all the time. Well, you know, we've got that piece of property. We could, we're not really using it. We could sell it and do the same thing. I don't know if we could do the same thing. It's an awful lot. Well, we don't have to do the same thing. What we do is we just pretend like it's the same thing. Nobody else will know the difference anyway, and then we'll still get all the credit, and we'll still keep some of the money. Win-win. And you see how it plays out, and it's not win win. It is lose lose. We have these people who sell some property, bring it forth. And by the way, I hope you noticed that when Peter responded to them, he didn't say, How dare you? You were supposed to give all the money. Did you notice he didn't say that? He said, It was your choice. You got to choose what to do with the property, and then even after you sold it, you got to choose what to do with the money. The problem was not that you sold the property. The problem was not that you gave the money. The problem was the direction of your heart. You were not doing this to help other people. You were doing this to help yourself. You were not doing this because you saw that there were needs, but you saw this as a way to, to fit in, to gain attention, to get people to give you a good nickname. That's not why Barnabas was in it. And that's not what this giving was to be about. Jesus told... He had, he had a word for people like Ananias and Sapphira, actually. It's the word hypocrite. He used it quite a bit. And it was the idea of wearing a mask. Kind of look one way to everybody. When inside, you got something else going on. He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Because he said, outside they look really good. They've been all painted white and pretty. But inside, they're still tombs. And so they're full of rotting, dead carcasses. This is where Ananias and Sapphira were. Jesus when talking about hypocrites and and giving warned against people who were giving publicly because he said if that's why they're giving it's just to get praise from people that's all they will ever get from it it's just praise from people and there are some people who are willing to make that trade so that's what i want that's what i want more than anything else is the praise of people and so they will do that Jesus says Don't let that be you. That's not what this is about. And if that's all you get, you lose in the end. And so he says, when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Heavenly Father who who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Ananias and Sapphira I have to wonder if they were to have done an autopsy, if what they would have found is that their hearts were actually turned backwards. I don't mean that really. But that's the image that I have of why they dropped dead. Is that it was an image of what happens when your heart is turned backwards from the rest of you (laughs) because what they were doing was showing that their heart was not in line with what they were displaying outwardly. And I want you to be careful here because the way that we use heart today and the way they use heart back then is very different. We usually mean heart in a sense of feelings. And so you could very easily hear everything I've set up to this point and say, "Oh, so what you're saying is we're going to be really true to ourselves. We're going to be have that integrity all the way through. We should never do anything unless we feel like it." That is not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm saying. The way that the Bible talks about heart is more in the sense of your will and what you choose to do and why you choose to do it. And so there are times, there are times as a pastor where you go through, I mean, you go through really good times of close intimacy with God and times where it is just like dry, desert, feels like your prayers aren't getting past the ceiling. I'm sure you've all been there. It doesn't go away when you become a pastor. So what do you do during those times? You say, well, I don't feel like it. So I'm not going to pray. I don't feel like it. I'm not going to preach. I don't feel... No. (laughs) No, no, no. That is if our heart were the feelings, but our heart is not the feelings. Our heart is the will. And so it's in those times of dryness where we can see... Everybody else has experienced it biblically as well. It's in those times of dryness that you can continue doing the things that God has told you to do, even though you don't feel it. But because you believe it. And because you still trust him in all of it. You may have heard the, uh, you know, when the clouds come through and everything is dark, the sun is still shining. You just can't see it. But we believe it's still there. And we know that the clouds will pass. And the sun will come out again. We have that same experience every night. The world turns around. We don't think the sun has died. <laughs> but we believe that there's going to be a morning again where there will be a sun again. What is the direction of our hearts? Not in the sense of feelings, but in the sense of will. Are we living, pointed toward a God who loved us so much that he sent his son, who died on the cross and was raised again in power, and has plans for us to come into a relationship with him now and forever? Are we living that way now? And I don't mean that we live perfectly in every way, but is that the direction? Is that the way that the compass of our heart is set? With Ananias and Sapphira, it was backwards. And here's the other part of this. Nobody around them would have known the difference. It's really easy to be in a gathering of Christians and be just like Ananias and Sapphira. You want proof of that? I heard a sermon where we uh, are pointing out that at the Last Supper, Jesus said, "One of you will betray me." And if it had been obvious, everyone would have been like, "Well, yeah, it's Judas." that guy's been a little off for years. (laughs) They didn't. They all said, is it me? It wasn't obvious. Judas had been right in there with all of them, and he had already conspired with the leaders to betray Jesus for money, and none of the other disciples knew it. His heart was completely the wrong direction sharing the Last Supper with him, they had no idea. It is easy to fall into this kind of position if we think that it's only what other people think about us. If other people think I'm a Christian, I must be one. If other people are praising me for giving good uh, gifts, and these sorts, no. It's your Heavenly Father who sees what is done in secret. So if you want to you want to do a little heart check this week? Which I highly recommend. Here's the exercise that I would put before you. Pray. Always start today. And pray that God would show you somebody who's in need that you can help. And you say, I have zero money. This is not going to work for me. It does not have to be a financial need. It might be. But it might be somebody who's in need of encouragement and you can write them a note. It's somebody who's in need of having the lawn mowed. (laughs) You can mow it. Find a need. Pray that God would show that need to you and then meet it. But here's the kicker. Do it completely anonymously. Where the person you do it for doesn't know about it, and you don't even get to brag about it to anybody else. And I want you to see how that feels, because I will tell you, if the reason that you're doing it is because of your love for God, the grace that he has shown you, and the way that you are now his instrument to be that vessel of grace for others, to bless the people around you, to meet the needs of others, this should be just fine. If, on the other hand, you find yourself going, Well, this, there's no point if I don't get to tell anybody. That <laughs> may be an indication their heart's not where you hope it would be. That is the challenge I put before you. As I say, it's a difficult passage. I will give you one other uh, illustration that might help make sense of why the situation was so, um, the consequences were so severe for Ananias and Sapphira. We say, there are people living like this all the time. How come God doesn't strike us all dead immediately? I would say, well, that is a good question. (laughs) Mercy and grace. So why did he strike them dead in that moment? I think partly as an illustration of what happens when your heart is turned the wrong way, but here's another way of looking at it. If you think about the military, military is more than uniform. Military is actually submitting and putting yourself under the leadership of others who train you and build you up into someone who is trained for a purpose and committed to a cause. And that is what that uniform represents. And when you have somebody who comes in and who wants to wear the uniform but is not under that leadership, You may have a foreign spy who comes in, puts on the uniform, by all outward appearances, looks like they're part of that military branch, and yet they are not. They're there to subvert, and they're dangerous. What do you do with that? Just a gentle reminder. You know, you really shouldn't do that consequences have to be pretty drastic and have to be pretty severe. This is the case with Ananias and Sapphira, and especially at this early point in the church. No, this is not how God always deals with it, but he would be absolutely right to do so if he were in every case. And so we thank God for his mercy and his grace for us. We thank him for the examples that he set in others. And we pray that he would Tune our hearts to him, that we be those who receive his grace and who freely and generously grace others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.